Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today we were scheduled to have uh, a rebroadcast or actually an original broadcast from uh, an expert on Buddhism, um, Dr. Uh, Robert Thurman, and he's a former professor of Indo-Tibetan Buddhist studies um, at uh, Columbia University. And my dear colleague um, just got his schedule mixed up last time, and I'm not sure, but it looks like he may have uh, done the same this time. So um, if you tuned in to hear uh, Dr. Thurman talk about Buddhism. Uh, it does not look like we're going to have that show today. But he said, I am going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I do want to spend just a moment uh, telling you about where we are um, for next week's broadcast. So this is kind of an introduction to next week. I, and if you can't tell, I am really excited about next week because it's just a lot of really good stuff going on. Um, and so, um, uh, so let me start with uh, telling you that next week marks 10 years of uh, being um, in, in this radio show, but also being as a podcast. You know, I have a lot of people who say, wait a minute, are you sure you've been doing this 10 years? Because I didn't think podcasts have been out that long, but yes, they have been. Um, and I've been doing this uh, for um, 10 years. Time went by really fast. And you've probably heard me say probably a dozen times or more how it started, but really what seemed like just a joke of someone saying, um, you really, you, first it started out as a, you should have a television show, too. You really should have uh, a radio show or a podcast. And so here we are 10 years later. So hundreds of, um, uh, I should say more than 100 episodes it started out as a monthly podcast series, and people kept asking me, why don't you uh, do it for a longer amount of time? You know, there's kind of a me- method to the madness with this um, in that, um, you know, 30 minutes is just about the right amount of time that someone could, um, you know, commit to uh, hearing about a, a fascinating new topic. And so an hour is a lot of time to ask of people, even though sometimes we do go over, not quite to an hour but we do go over. And so it works out really well. I get phone calls and and messages, whether they're direct messages, WhatsApp, you name it, from people all over the world that are saying, I listened to your show and this is what I took away. In fact, I was just here, I'm I'm broadcasting live today um, on the campus of uh, Columbia University at Teachers College. And um, uh, one of my uh, former students um, was walking and passed me in the hallway, said, um, I was listening to your podcast and shared what, what resonated with him. And so it was just really a, um, a pleasure to, uh, to have these conversations. I'm going to tell you, to be honest with you, I, um, you know, this is as much me learning as anyone else. Um, I ask questions that I've had people say, 
I was going to ask the same thing. That's exactly what I wanted to know because um, this, the whole purpose behind this for me was that I'm kind of a naturally, I'm a question, uh, a person that questions anything. And so I, I had a lot of questions about these topics. All of the guests come from me reading articles, reading books, seeing people on TV or seeing them uh, in on a TED talk or something and deciding I would love to have a conversation with this person. So that's really the, the real secret to it is that these are just people who I reach out to and invite them to be on the show because I'd love to have a conversation with them. And to my surprise, many of them say they, they enjoy the format because it's really not a, uh, it's not an interview. It's a conversation. Uh, just a secret to what, what, I, what I say in the background before we even get started. I tell people, think cocktail party. And that's really what it is. We have a conversation and with a lot of people eavesdropping. So um, I, I have a lot of fun doing this and putting this on. And um, so which makes me want to tell you about next week. So this is a sneak preview of what I'm calling anniversary week. So starting next Monday, um, I have um, a guest from New York City. Her name is Alina Adams. And she is a parent and advocate um, for uh, other parents in New York City schools. And uh, that show on Monday um, will be entitled When Grades and Test Scores Don't Match. Um, and so she's done a lot of work talking with parents about their, what their expectations should be um, reasonably um, for when their students are getting A's in classes. <laughs> And then they don't um, they don't have um, they don't have any any other um, proof that they have uh, met the standards because there are um, tests that don't don't support the same. So that's um, that's the first show uh, on Tuesday. Have a special one hour panel uh, with a couple of colleagues, Michael Eatman and Victor Furman, uh, Ferguson. Um, who are going to join me for an hour-long panel and discussion on the topic "Black Men Don't Cry," and um, I, you know, was listening. Um, dare I admit, um, scrolling through one of these uh, social media platforms, might have been uh, TikTok, it might have been Instagram, but I was scrolling through and I saw a a post from a very well-known sports star. I won't say who, you'll have to listen in to hear, but I'm going to play a clip uh, about his reflections on responsibility and family and emotions, um, and which gave me the idea to have a conversation with a couple of other black men uh, to talk about um, what their views and, you know, and messages are that they, they give and have received about uh, black masculinity. And um, that will be on Tuesday. Uh, the ninth for a special one-hour um, panel, Black Men Don't Cry. Uh, on Wednesday, on Wednesday I have, um, on, on Wednesday the 10th, I have a show that I'm doing about um, why leaders, uh, why leaders um, lie. Uh, that's been on for a long time. A, a, a guest who wrote a book, actually, um, and and did a great uh, great job here. 
Um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pause just for a moment because I think uh, Dr. Ferguson is uh, trying to join in. Um, so if you could give me uh, just about 30 seconds and we'll see if he is around. Thank you. Just for a moment. I'm going to see if he's around. Okay, everyone, uh, thank you for your patience, and um, I'm going to finish up telling you a little bit about next week, and then Dr. Thurman is, in fact, going to join. Um, so finishing up on Thursday, um, we're going to have a panel of uh, current leaders. They're going to talk about what's changed in school leadership, so for those of you who are aspiring school leaders, it's a great opportunity for you to, to hear about what's changed so you can make some decisions about whether you really want that job or not. And then lastly, what I'm really excited about is that we're going to do an open forum where I'm going to invite a bunch of educators to be live in the studio with me in New York City um, and have people dial in. And we're going to just have an open discussion on education and any of the topics on education um, that you, you would like to, to talk about. So with that, um, I'm going to um, take this moment um, to welcome um, our today's guest, and I'm excited to have him, uh, Dr. Robert Thurman, who is um, has been has been recognized as a popularizer of uh, Buddhist teachings and the first Westerner um, Tibetan Buddhist monk who was ordained by. His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and so I am just—I'm so excited to have um, such an expert and and um, you know person who has has broken all kinds of barriers um, here. He's been a professor in uh, Buddhist studies at the Department of Religion here at Columbia uh, for over 30 years and retired in 2020. Uh, so many things to his credit. You can read about him. But uh, to join us today to shed some light, uh, today's show is entitled On Buddhism because um, over the next few months, I'm going to do a series on religion where I ask experts for, you know, to dispel myths um, that commonly are held where, you know, whether people have um, watched something on television or listened to some uh misconceptions that are perpetuated by others, and Buddhism is one of those that is uh, <laughs> often misquoted and, 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 and miscredited. Um, so I just want to take this opportunity. Thank you for coming on, and uh, welcome, Bob. Well, thank you, Dr. Bryant. I'm really happy to talk to you. And are you really, you're at the Columbia Teachers College? Is that your base? That's right. That's right. I'm right over at TC. That's wonderful. I love Teachers College. I really am fond of them. I used to have close colleagues over there, and uh, I used to do quite a few things with them and help some of their students and work with them. And I really like them because they're like really practicing, uh, dealing with people. You know, sometimes in our in our so-called research university, professors get kind of up there in the skies and they lose track with what's going. On. <laughs> that's right. That's, right. that's absolutely right. 
And uh, but here we we stay focused on practice, which is is really the motivation that I have for this uh, show and podcast is because it's a real uh, challenge when when yeah, people sure. don't have the the information that they need. And so yeah, uh, yeah and so you're going to. I just love that, and I and see some of the people you're having on next week. I was listening. They sound like awesome people. I think I'm going to try to follow your show myself now that I discovered it. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you. And so I I just want to start out. um, First, tell us about you. Um, Because, I mean, here you are, you know, you broke a bunch of barriers, um, but became the first Westerner Tibetan Buddhist monk. Tell us how, yes. where this all started for you. Where did you, where were you? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was an undergraduate in college, and then I just was not really help, getting the help I wanted from the faculty and the courses in the college about what's the purpose of life, you know, why, what would I, why would I decide to be this or do that? And then, and then, uh, uh, I kind of um, I was very lucky. I was unlucky, which was lucky, in the sense that I had an accident in a garage and I lost on the side of one eye. And uh, that helped me at the age of 20, 20, 21, to have a midlife crisis. <laughs> I wouldn't have had till 45 when I'd be really over the hill. And so then I was able to drop out of college, and I I went to India because I thought I needed to discover something like a yoga of the mind, a yoga of emotions, you know, to learn to control my emotions, Mm -hmm. and uh, a little bit better than I was doing. And uh, and then I and I I had all the interest in the teaching of Buddha, but I wasn't really looking for religion. I was a little bit secular and anti-religious, you know. And uh, what happened was when I got there, I met the Tibetans in India and who had just come out into exile because the Chinese invaded their country and they were communists, right? So they didn't like them being Buddhists, et cetera. Anyway, they escaped. So then uh, they really, I loved their language. I loved the, what they had to say. And particularly what I loved is that they, they taught, which is something basic about Buddha, Buddha teaching, that you, 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 just having a blind faith belief in something is not that useful mm. because you don't have reasons of why you believe it and you're just told to do so, you know, by some boss or some senior person. And uh, meanwhile, you're not encouraged that you can understand why you should do and be a certain way. Whereas the Buddha said, you have to understand the world and yourself in order to become free of suffering, in order to find salvation, you know, or liberation, or whatever you want to call it. And I really liked that idea because, of course, I was still really a teenager emotionally, and uh, I thought I knew everything, (laughs) 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 which happens sometimes to young people. And um, But anyway, and now I know I don't know everything, but I know enough to try to be a little nicer to other people and to myself and to have a little better time. And I became quite fascinated by the whole history. You know, Buddhism spread all over Asia, like billions of people over thousands of years, how they did that and what was the education involved. 
And I really like that. So, that's, so, so I've been working on that all along. I didn't last long as a monk. My original <laughs> teacher was a Mongolian as a New Jer- in, in, who had emigrated to New Jersey when the communist revolutions invaded Mongolia and Tibet and these places. And uh, he, uh, he said that I wasn't going to be a monk for long term. He knew it, so don't try to be one. He knew I wanted to be, but he was trying to tell me, don't, don't rush and don't do that. And then he took me to the Dalai Lama, and then he told the Dalai Lama, this, this boy is bright, and he's nice, and he's very interested in the study, and he wants to be a monk, and he's good on the study, so please help him, but don't make him a monk. <laughs> Because <laughs> he won't stay, and that was true. And um, so then I, I did uh, leave after a couple of years, and then I signed up to become a Western monk, namely a, a, a college professor, <laughs> more or less like a monk, you know, a little bit, you know. So that's yeah. about me, you know. And, uh, and uh, the main thing I can tell about me is what my eldest son says about me from my, his experience working with me on building a little house that we have here in the in the woods uh-huh. in the upstate New York. And he said, my dad's motto is, why do it right when you can do it yourself? Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of, actually. Some people think that's embarrassing, but I'm very, very proud of it. Well, that's great. That's great. I love that. And, and you know, I, I think you know, just hearing you talk about it, it sounds like you, you're doing some of the things that uh, certainly I aspire to do. Um, just, just take the time and it doesn't matter um, about the destination sometimes, you know, sometimes it, yes. really, it really is the process. You know, I had the opportunity um, uh, a, a few years back and I tell people, I, I call this my, uh, what I see at red light experiences. And um, it was this experience I had once, uh, one morning I was taking my, my daughters to uh, school and, you know, it was kind of symbolic for me, you know, my entire life was, you know, just kind of like going from place to place and, you know, getting things done and achieving this and achieving that. And so this one particular day, I was driving them back. I was driving back after having dropped them off for school in the morning, and I I stopped. I, I stopped at a red light, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, for the first time that I could remember, I started looking around at the red light. You know, so uh-huh. and I I remember this day so vividly is that I started. Um, I looked. And I saw this old woman crossing the street very slowly. I saw a young man bas- uh, uh, dribbling a basketball. And I just remember it was almost in slow motion. But it had been so long since I had, at a red light, actually that's, looked that's around. Great. That's really great. Now, that is you, so, so cool. You, you probably know the significance of what I'm about to say is that my whole life of going through red lights, or I said, what I see at a red light, I used to only see the red light. Yeah. I would always just look at the light and have the light tell me when to go and when to stop, right? So it was red, right, and red, waiting and waiting. And when it turned green, I would go. But I would yeah. never pay attention to what was going on around 
at the red light. That's fantastic. Right? I just love that. Yeah. And so that you know that makes me think. You know, I don't know if you ever heard of Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a was a famous Vietnamese teacher. Yeah. He passed yeah. away. Buddhist teacher passed yeah. away last year, and um, he has a beautiful thing where he says, "When you come to the red light, you fold your palms because you can let go of the steering wheel, and you and you thank the red light for giving you a moment's peace." <laughs> Uh, yes, yes. Instead of feeling irritated that it's holding you back, and then he didn't say you have the extra precept, which is then you look around and see what's going on, but put yeah, your yeah. foot firmly on the brake. That is really, and you discovered that spontaneously yourself. That's fantastic, Brian. I love it. Yeah. And so you know, one of the things that I, you know, in in that experience, which is is part of what got me interested in just learning more. Uh, because the the older I got and the more I read, I started to see a lot of similarities um, against, I, I should say, around uh, religious yes. practices. And, you know, the, the, the lines become uh, more blurred, the, like the closer you get to them, right? You know, in terms yes, of yes. some of the, some of the beliefs. That's of the so stuff. cool. Um, That's so cool. I've also visited um, Asia uh, on many occasions, I've not had the occasion uh, to go um, to Tibet or any of those areas, but I've been, I spent significant time in Thai, in Thailand. And, and yeah, so yeah I've, good. Yes. Yeah. So I've gone around in Thailand and I've actually even sat down. One of my former students introduced me to her abbot and um, had an hour long conversation, just kind of like about the meaning of life. Um, with oh, great. In, in Thailand, but it just fascinate, uh, fascinated me around some of the, the things that he talked about, and I, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit, and, and sure. hopefully some of, some of the people that are eavesdropping, so to speak, on our conversation today would also be so enlightened about um, what is, what are some of the, the you know, commonly held misperceptions about Buddhism. Um, yes. So I, I guess the first question, is, I've had the opportunity to, um, to ask these, but, you know, other people haven't, but um, let me start with about Buddhism as a religion, so to speak. Yes. And so can you address that? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, the, in a way, uh, Buddhism has a religious aspect in the sense that people who are Buddhists feel especially blessed, and they feel that somehow being connected to the Buddha and his teaching and the community of people who are trying to implement it, it gives them a kind of refuge or a blessing, and in that sense they belong to it in a kind of way, like a, like a religion, you know. But it isn't really a matter only of belief, it's more a matter of learning, and um, what I would, in a short time, what I would like to really emphasize is that it's a, it has to do with happiness. In other words, Buddha's discovery was what he called the third noble truth, which was the truth of nirvana. And he, there are various interpretations of that, and he, you know, it's, because he said that is something that actually defies description. It's beyond our conventional understanding. But it is not beyond our experience, and in fact, it's the experience that gives everything in life a special meaning. 
And, you know, that was what people love that from and have all along since then, because it's sort of saying that the nature of reality, the nature of evolution, the nature of life is goodness and, and is good, you know, and it's it's not some evil business and uh, pain is normal and all you can do, you can look forward to endless pain and things like that. In other words, and he didn't, but he didn't say it comes from an omnipotent being as a gift or something. But it, what it is, is it's the nature of reality, and therefore each people can discover it experientially for themselves. But they can't have a dogma or something and just repeat, this, they go nirvana, 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 and then that's going to get them there. They have to rather learn how to unlearn feeling trapped in a difficult situation of a life alienated from the rest of the other people and the rest of the world. Because once you feel that way, then everything is kind of frustrating because the world will overwhelm you sooner or later. You uh -huh. know, sick, sickness, old age, death is the typical thing. But Buddhism has been very misunderstood by people, including people like Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul and others from their writings, because once Buddha discovered that reality is actual goodness and love and happiness and abundance, he then said, but if you misunderstand that, then you suffer. And you think that you're that you just all alone. You have to grab what you can for yourself. And the whole world is kind of against you in a stressful time. Sometimes it's nice and you have a nice family, nice friends, etc. But then often things go against you. And so that will be suffering. And But then he said, you can, however, change that misunderstanding and you can come to understand that actually you're interconnected with everyone and they are connected, connected with you. And it isn't really a zero sum battle between you and the other self and other, you know, mm -hmm. and that's when, and that, and that is, that's eventually everyone will be able to do that. He kind of predicted because we are going to live on endlessly. There is a future life. There have been past lives. We're lucky to be human because we can now try to understand our situation and then we can go ever better from being human to better and better types of human lives until we finally feel really, truly free. And uh, so this really appealed to me when I was young, right, because I liked, I liked that aspect of Jefferson's thing of the pursuit of happiness, you know. Yes. He put that in there. And uh, we've been trying to, we've been pursuing away <laughs> ever oh, since. Yeah. And, and uh, of course, how to catch it, how to actually find happiness is, of course, a question absolutely. whether you're Buddhist or not, you know. Yeah, but uh, and and what's great, the really great ones like the Dalai Lama, they don't say they have all the answers either. They say each person has to find their own answer, and and he's very good in thinking that all the great teachers of humanity, like like the Christ and like like even and also Muhammad and Moses and Rabbi Hillel and whoever, uh, and in India, the great sages of India and China and Persia and so on, and that that all of them, and also many great sort of what we would call shamanist people who are in non-literary religion, you know, like indigenous religions, uh -huh. and that they, there's a lot of people who have helped other people find some sort of happiness. And so he doesn't pretend that Buddhism has it all, but Buddhism does have a very good curriculum, uh, which is not just meditation, although it's another popular misunderstanding. It's not only meditation is one of the tools for learning that the world is good 
and then realizing there's no excuse for yourself not to be good. <laughs> or try to be, try to be, even though acknowledging imperfection, of course. Sure, sure. So that so Buddhism, like like my teacher, it's so funny. One time when I was about late thirties, my my original Mongolian teacher from New Jersey, I, w- I was at a meal with him, and I was hungry, so I was gobbling a lot of food, and then somebody, you know, a stew or something. So then somebody said to me, "Oh, be careful! You gain a lot of weight." And then I proudly said, "No, I'll never gain weight." You know, my the males in my family have always been skinny and blah blah blah. And so the old my old Mr. Miyagi type of teacher with his little white beard, he says to me he he says, Oh yes, well your your lineage of people were thin and they were anxious and they worried and they were they, they lost weight. Whatever they did. But but you have to be careful, very soon you'll see you'll gain much too much weight. And you're not like nervous like them. You have because you've been trying to learn something about life through Buddhism. Mm-hmm. You are too jolly. <laughs> <laughs> you have become more jolly than your lineage says, and therefore you gotta watch your weight. Yeah. And uh, he was so right. And at one point I was like 40 pounds more than I weigh now, and I was gobbling away, you know. And then I had to finally control control that, you know. Sure, sure. So, so it would be fair to say uh, that Buddhism is more of a philosophy and not a religion. Um, well, it has it has all dimensions. Yeah, yeah. I would even say it has a, it's really based on a psychological science. So it's uh, kind of like a psychotherapy. More, it's more clinical, in other words, than just abstract. Because gotcha. Buddha said that since this good reality of the loving universe. You know, and there are, there are, also they didn't deny the existence of God or gods, you know, but they just said there was no one big boss who omnipotently created the whole thing, that there are different ones and different kinds. So that's the only difference they had about the gods, but they didn't disbelieve the existence of angels and gods and things. They just didn't attribute one of them super boss status, you know. And so people have wrongly thought Buddhists were atheists, also, which is not true. But they, sure. they're non-monotheists. That's that's true. Not, so not. so anyway, it's a, so it is just a, it is a philosophy. It's also a science in the sense that reality is good. Ignorance is not bliss. Wisdom is bliss. You know, when you understand that that uh, when you understand reality to whatever extent you can understand it, then you will be happier because you'll feel that the default. Situation is good, you know. If you let all let it all go, it'll be cool. Ultimately, there might be some troubles and some bumps on the way, but sooner, eventually, given endless time to work on it, it'll be good. Sure, <laughs> sure. And you know, um, also just kind of to follow through with that, the whole idea. You know, I, I, I certainly understand what you're saying about it being a you know kind of their their religious aspects to it. Um, but that um, Buddha um, was a human being, um, and and so one one I guess confusion that happens is because there are these you know there's statues and what people assume and refer to as worshiping a Buddha. Um, can you say yeah. about that? Like so so if is is Buddha seen in the Buddhist um, you know, belief system um, is Buddha seen as having transformed into a god, or is is 
kind of come along later. Not, not really. Yeah. Not really. He's seen as his actual name is Deva uh, Manushanam Shasta, which means the teacher of humans and gods. Because it's possible to become a god and still have some kind of egocentrism, like mm -hmm. I'm the great god, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, and then anybody who gets into thinking they're more important than the rest of the universe is always making a slight mistake, even if they are giant divine, because you know in the in the Buddhist scientific view, our whole universe is like a subatomic particle in an even bigger universe. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also they say that there's a whole universe in every atom of this universe, like a hologram, you know. It's yeah. a holographic vision where there's a, every atom of this, like every atom of on your toe, on your big toe, has like has a universe in it of, that is like our universe for beings that are at that size. So in other words, the world is filled with life of so many dimensions that even if you're a, a god in a particular setting, there's some other bigger one in some other setting. So in other words, you're making a slight mistake to think I'm the only one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. They, they they understand that's how they understand it, you know. But 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 on the other hand, it's there's no dogma like that. It's something that one can understand by experience, but um, but it cannot just be achieved by believing a particular thing. You mm -hmm. just have to be really open. The ultimate belief is to be super open-minded, and and really look out and see that old lady on the crossing the street. Or the guy dribbling the basketball and sort of be over there with him. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's like you don't really, you can't say what exactly that all that is because everything is really inconceivable. Mm -hmm. in even eating an apple or you know, um, looking at the sky, you know. So so it's a kind of it's a it's a sort of relaxing into being at one with your reality, and mm -hmm. then enjoy and then finding that that reality has a lot of good stuff for you. You know, like yeah. I'm always thinking now we're having this terrible trouble with the environment because we've been messing with it so badly, extracting too much of this and that and then dumping the waste. And um, we don't even realize when we draw one breath. I'm looking out a window right now, and when I draw a breath, I can thank the leaves on that tree over there because it's absorbing my carbon exhalation and it's emanating oxygen to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. It, in a sense, it virtually likes me, and and therefore I like I want to like it, you know. Mm -hmm. So so just from a practical standpoint, what what's the purpose of of say statues? In the in well, the, the purpose of the of the sort of different institutions and the literature and the yeah. practices and etc. <clears throat> the purpose is to become more aware of the reality of things and more kind and loving and compassionate to others mm. and and to yourself in a way because that is being kind to yourself because when you're kind to others they're going to like you and then they'll be nice to you and then you'll be more happy and so it, it's kind of it really is um, it's totally like the Dalai Lama when he first came to the US and when uh, when um, uh, Jimmy Carter and Cyrus Vance decided he deserved a visa which Kissinger and Brzezinski had been denying to mm -hmm. placate China, you know. Yeah. But when he, in 1939, he first came, uh, he said, he announced, my religion is the common human religion of kindness. He said, uh -huh. please don't think of me just as a Buddhist. 
my religion is kindness, and kindness is not just a religious thing. We all need it. We all need to manifest it. We all need to receive it. And he went on with his birds that we used to teasing in, the, in his close friends. We used to call his birds and the bees chat, where he talks about how we humans are helpless infants, you know, and we need those moms, you know, to take care of us, or we'd be done for, and dads, you know, to take care of us. And uh, and he he proudly said recently in a film interview, and he always says when he gives lectures where people are maybe Christian or Jewish or Muslim or secularist, he considers secularism a kind of world religion, secular humanism, you know, not mm-hmm. extractive, nihilistic secularism, but secular humanism. He considers it like a world religion with a billion followers. And uh, he said, in all my life, I have never given any teaching about Buddhism with the intention to convert somebody from some other belief system. Uh-huh. Rather, uh-huh. just just want to inform them and let them learn whatever if something might be useful to them within their own structure of their own culture and belief system and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he's really maintained that very strongly, very well. And he said, I've never done it. And he announced that in a, in a film interview recently that I was so pleased to hear him say yeah, that like yeah. that. And of course, he always says it. He always says it. And then he looks at me. He, t- he usually tells me, what are you doing here? Like, why are you being a Buddhist? And then I reassure him. I say, look, I wasn't really a believer. I was a secular critic and cynic when I encountered the Buddhist teaching, so don't think you converted me out of anything. <laughs> and then he smiles and, and he laughs, you know. But, uh, but he, but, um, you know what I mean, because he doesn't think of me as having left Christianity. And in fact, it is definitely true. I like Christianity, and it's, also I've become extremely fond of Judaism, mm-hmm. having more deeply understood it and read these kind of books that my colleagues write, like Rabbi Jesus. You know, there are books like that that they write because he was Jewish after all, you know. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, lose flash to the anti-Semitic people that Jesus chose to be Jewish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so uh, I like those kind of religions much more than I did before. I, I learned something about life, I think, from Buddhism. But I still don't know everything, but yeah, I learned sure. something, you know. Well, that that's fascinating. I, you know, um, I so appreciate you coming on. I I do want to uh, give you an opportunity, um, you know, to to kind of summarize. Um, what would you What would you say to the person who is um, is is interested in learning more about um, Buddhism? Um, Well, well, I would recommend my recent book, which is called Wisdom is Bliss, Four Friendly Fun Facts That Can Change Your Life, I think they added to it, you know, the editor, the editor, the publisher, it's uh, published by Hay House, and um, I retitled the Four Noble Truths as the Four Friendly Fun Facts. And one of my Buddhist friends said, how can you call the noble truth of suffering for the ignorant person as a friendly, fun fact? And I said, well, it's fun because you realize that your suffering is not abnormal, and also you're given a a cure for it by learning what what you're mistaking to make it a suffering, you know, by thinking that you're versus everything else, you know, and realize that you're all on the same team, and then you start having more fun. So they agreed with that, actually. But they were just shocked that I said it was a fun fact. Of course, the ultimate fun fact 
is that the universe likes us. The universe is good. And uh, when, you know, when, when monotheists think God is compassionate, God is merciful, they're really thinking the same thing. They're thinking the absolute, so to speak, the, the final reality is good, is goodness. But the problem with attributing to a specific person that, you know, they are, that all the goodness comes from that person, you then wonder, well, when you have a Holocaust, when your children have get sick, you know, when something goes horribly wrong, well, did, did this, this omnipotent person do that? And there's a, there's a thing in the Buddhist uh, literature where the god of that time, who, who other Indian people thought were, was the creator, mm-hmm. he was approached mystically by one of Buddha's students, and he, who asked, said, well, I hear you just know everything, and you're the creator. And the, that deity, after some hemming and hawing a little bit, changing the setting, he said, the thing is, I'm not omnipotent. I'm really good. I'm very creative. I try to help beings as much as I can. But, you know, when bad things happen, I don't like it if they think I sent them, because I didn't. And we're all kind of in the in life together, and so things can get mixed up and some unhappy things can happen. But uh, I don't want that to be the case, he said. And I didn't, I'm not the source of evil, you know. And yeah. uh, it's, I think it's quite sweet, you know, that, that way back thousands of years ago, they kind of, they were, it was sort of being compassionate to God, even, I would say, and not blaming him. You know, like Elie Wiesel, the great Elie Wiesel, who I loved, was a dear friend. Uh, he was quite upset, you know, because he was in Auschwitz, right? In the yeah. Holocaust, and he was very upset with God for 40 years. You know, he sort of forgave him toward the end. You know, but yeah. uh, he decided maybe there was some deeper God made it. Will make it up to everybody someday somehow. He decided, yeah. but yeah. but anyway, without changing his his belief, but he he relented on being bitter. You know, against God. You know, which you will do if you think they do. They're all powerful. So that's yeah. the only difference. So in summary, Buddhism wants everyone to just cheer up, be of good cheer. As do you know, Michael Beckwith out west, you know the venerable Michael Beckwith, the yes. Reverend Michael yes. Beckwith. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. He always says, Jesus always said, "Be of good cheer," and that that's what Buddha also said too. He wants everyone to be of good cheer, be friendly. And uh, in my book, Wisdom is Bliss, about the friendly fun facts. I have the whole curriculum of the Eightfold Path, which is like a, an academic curriculum, but it's also spiritual and also therapeutic, of how to really improve the quality of your mind and your emotions and therefore your interactions with others and therefore your life. You know? And yeah. um, it's a curriculum that you can do without having to switch his holiness always said, I ever want to keep their grandmother's religion. I've always been doing that. Uh, uh, grandfather is what's called a workaholic, okay? Yeah. No, no, he definitely. Somebody? That must be, I don't know who's saying that, but I agree. No, my wife doesn't call me a workaholic. She calls me a Buddhaholic. She calls me a Buddhaholic, she calls me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, um, Doctor, I, I am so I really I appreciate you being um, being here. Um, Something has just, gone wrong. Okay. Well, thank you, Brian, for being patient yes. with me no, and my no, absent-mindedness. No. You know, I'm an emeritus. Well, problem. yeah. Something's gone wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, so, no, oh, that must be my wife teasing me. 
yeah, yeah. up the other phone. <laughs> All oh, right. okay. Um, so I, I really appreciate you coming on and, um, you have, you've added to me today and I'm sure people have learned something. Um, if you joined us late, um, I have, uh, with me, Dr. Uh, Robert Thurman, who, uh, was a, a professor of Indo-Tibetan Buddhist studies here at Columbia uh, University. I'm um, an emeritus, you know, and I, emeritus, I don't get yeah. paid anymore. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and definitely um, um, a, a distinction, uh, emeritus professor at Columbia. And so um, he's been with us. And so, again, um, wishing you the best, and we appreciate you coming on and, and adding to us today. Um, but uh, until we talk again, go well, stay well. You too, Brian. Thank you so much, really. And all the best to you and your show. And I hope to catch some later version when other people are there. Absolutely. Please give, send me notices, okay? All the we best. Do. Okay. Take care. Okay. Best to you. Thank you so much. <laughs>